I'm pleased to have Dr. Kenneth Cochran. He is the president and CEO of the Opelousas General Health System. Uh, under his uh, leadership, we've seen that Opelousas General Health System has grown exponentially. They now have two campuses, and they have uh, several sa- satellite offices. And so we're honored to have them on the call. Good morning. Thank you so much. Uh, everyone is muted now, and they were instructed that they will, they'll write down any questions that they have for you, and they'll hold their questions till the end of the presentation. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us, and the floor is yours. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, I'm going to talk fast and, and hopefully cover a couple of things that might be of greater interest. Uh, I do want to go back and start with that when this crisis occurred, uh, we launched our Emergency Incident Command Center uh, and system, which is a process and a, and, a, and a formality that we're very familiar with as um, we've had, you know, multiple disasters through the years. And so our team was, uh, you know, ready for that part. Uh, I want to talk first about, you know, from patients at home perspective and, and things that the health system is involved with. Uh, first, we, of course, have tried to keep everyone at home as much as possible. Uh, staying at home is a, is a validated um, way of reducing the spread of communicable diseases. Um, we were told that there were problems with people accessing their medications, uh, both because of their own transportation and their fear of leaving their homes. And so we actually launched a curbside uh, pickup and a home delivery service through our pharmacy, which is called WellSmart Health Pharmacy, that um, launched probably a month or six weeks ago. Um, we've also been trying to communicate a lot more um, to patients' homes uh, and also throughout the community through uh, some mass texting uh, capabilities that we uh, were able to acquire uh, and through some of the groups that we're with. Um, from a testing perspective, uh, we, we opened the drive-through uh, testing, um, which I wanted to be very careful with. We um, opened the call center first so that people could be screened before ever leaving their homes uh, with the goal that once people arrived that almost all of them actually did receive a test, uh, meaning they fit criteria, because um, we really wanted to keep everyone at home. Um, from a from a hospital perspective, we uh, of course you know our initial uh, reaction uh, to to the to the crisis was um, somewhat sudden for us. Uh, having an environment where you're concerned about infectious disease spread is very different than hurricane, tornado, and other responses. Uh, so um, we had to create a lot of things. Um, we, we took a safety first uh, as part of our safety first culture. Um, we, we took that approach and did try to figure out ways to change some engineering uh, of our buildings and, and use of uh, equipment that we actually do not currently own or use. Uh, and one of the biggest pieces of that is these things called air scrubbers. And what they do is they pull air in uh, they run it through several, di- several different HEPA filter type um, uh, methods and basically clean the air of, of, of everything, not just COVID, but 
viruses, bacteria, allergens, uh, and that and so forth. We uh, we decided, although at the time we didn't have a single inpatient um, COVID patient, we decided to make our entire fourth floor what we call an isolation or a negative pressure floor. Um, so these units I was mentioning, they were put into every single room, and other th- other things were changed you know, from a mechanical ventilation perspective so that we, we would be actively um, pulling air out, cleaning it, and then make sure, making sure clean air came in. Uh, that floor, that COVID floor, we call it now, it's the four north area. It is probably the cleanest air <laughs> you can breathe, um, both, both indoors and, exor- and, and outside of any given place. Um, we also then, um, at the same time, converted our intensive care unit into making those rooms as what we call negative flow as possible. Uh, again, pulling air through these scrubbers, cleaning it, making the, the atmosphere as, as safe as we could for uh, our staff and for the patients that were there. Uh, about a week or so later, we decided to convert our fifth floor into that same type of area and the fifth floor is not a COVID floor, uh, but many of those rooms have these, these devices in them that are scrubbing air uh, and, and helping you know, make, make that as viral and bacterial-free as possible. It can be easily converted into an official isolation or negative pressure room that we have not needed to do that yet, uh, but it, it will be easily done. We had to make these decisions early on because the equipment that you have to rent uh, to make this happen uh, was not easily available at that time, and we were concerned that when we did need it, for sure, that it would then not be available, and we didn't want that to happen. Since then, we we also, a a couple weeks ago, put in some of these scrubbers into our emergency department, into a couple of the major Bay areas, so that we could have an area where patients who were um, either definitely positive for COVID or were going to be needing interventions that create this aerosol or this exposure to droplets uh, at a greater risk, uh, we create we put those in a uh, in a couple rooms to, for that purpose. And then we have divided our OR into basically a COVID um, COVID OR section and a non-COVID. Uh, OR section. And I think that's important to mention because uh, we are now allowed to do some um, essential procedures, not necessarily emergent, but things that are time sensitive. These would be surgeries that, that have been postponed now for six weeks uh, that may, you know, cause uh, bigger problems for, for patients. So we're doing a few of those this week with more, um, we'll, we'll be doing a lot more cases starting next week uh, is we essentially had to rewrite about every process from scheduling to entering the building with the screeners to what happens in the OR to what happens after people are discharged. We have segregated COVID patients. We, we, we kind of have two, well, three categories of, of people. There are people that have known COVID. Uh, there are people who we suspect have COVID and either have not been tested or we don't have the results back, or even if we have negative results, but we don't believe them, meaning we think the patients are showing enough signs and symptoms where we just assume they really do have uh, COVID and we treat them as such. Our our employees, I hope that if you know anybody that works here, uh, that the majority of them will 
um, you know, tell you that they feel like we've, we've tried to be extra cautious. Uh, we have exceeded the CDC uh, recommendations, not even their requirements, but their, their actual recommendations, uh, not because we don't believe the CDC, but because, uh, you know, asking people to come to work every day and put themselves on the line. If you come to work every day and you feel like you're just the bare minimum covered, it's, it's not really a confidence builder, uh, and we didn't really want that to happen. With our staff, our physicians, and our, and our board, uh, we also have a mass communication uh, capability now, a texting communication um, that we actually launched in about four hours when this uh, initiative first started. Uh, and that has been uh, probably one of the best things that we've done from a communication perspective, uh, both internally and to some of our docs. Treatment, um, you know, the, it's, a new, it's a new virus, it's a new disease, and so treatments, you, 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 everything you see in the news is true. You know, people are trying things and they're not working, and they're, they're trying things and they are working, and um, one, one treatment plan may work for one patient and not the other. Uh, I can assure you that we're we're using the medications that have been listed as you know best practice for uh, for treatment. Um, I, I will celebrate a couple things. Our um, chief of critical care, uh, who is a board certified critical care physician and a, a board certified pulmonologist, uh, trained at Austin, um, pretty quickly caught on to the issues that New York was having with their patients that once you intubate or put a tube in somebody's throat, um, that they would, their chance of survival was a lot less than if you tried to keep them off of that bed. So we initiated uh, one of the advanced protocols we have using this thing called Vapotherm. Uh, and Vapotherm is um, essentially it's a very high flow oxygen with some pressure that helps uh, get more oxygen to more of those small cells in the lungs, uh, which is where COVID tends to attack. Uh, so we pretty quickly, uh, well, we never adopted the, the innovate quickly uh, treatment, which is what originally uh, was, was thought to be the best um, in, in New York. And then learning from that, um, we, we did that. Uh, second, we... Um, we saw the research article from China that suggested that hyperbaric oxygen therapy uh, would, would possibly help or work for patients. And what, hyper, what, what this does is it, it, it's, it's, if you've ever been, if you know anything about scuba diving, it's two atmospheres of pressure below sea level. And what happens is that increased pressure um, uh, pushes uh, bad stuff off of red blood cells and, and allowed oxygen to attach to it and therefore helping more oxygen get to those smaller uh, parts of the lungs and smaller tissues of the lungs and therefore helping it heal faster. Um, and so some people call hyperbaric super oxygenation, uh, which is true. That is what it is and why we use it for like wound care type patients normally. Um, we, we had, um, you know, I, I think it's fairly open knowledge that um, we had a couple of our own employees who were very, very sick um, that I was very concerned about who, um, 
who both reacted very well to this therapy, uh, and so uh, we 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 are still we are still providing that treatment to all of the patients in the hospital who fit the fit the criteria for that. And so we're doing that universally, uh, unless it's contraindicated, um, you know, for hyperbaric. Um, we are not doing research on it. Um, other institutions have talked about doing it and have to apply to these, you know, institutional review boards. We, ch- we chose not to do that because we're not going to withhold it and give it. We're just going to give it to anybody that qualifies um, because we're trying to save as many lives as we can. And the, and the, ne- the, the last treatment is the use of what they call convalescent plasma, which is, you know, people who have had uh, COVID-19, they have antibodies built up, uh, therefore they're, you know, they might be immune to it. Uh, and so we, have, we started that initiative with our blood bank called LifeShare uh, on Friday. It's rare and it's, you know, it's new and, and so it's, um, and it has a very limited number of donors. Uh, so we launched that effort on Friday to try to collect, um, start collecting some uh, plasma units uh, we actually, on Monday, uh, were able to administer it to the, the, our first patient, um, which has been heavily uh, publicized on Facebook uh, by the, the family members of the donor and the recipient. Um, we, we, we don't normally share that many names because that would be a violation of their privacy, uh, but obviously you can, you can put whatever you want about yourself on Facebook, but we're, we're grateful they're doing that. And, and I didn't know this until I saw it on Facebook. The, the donor uh, was actually one of our employees that had recovered uh, who apparently went up to Alexandria and uh, donated uh, her plasma that was given to a patient uh, I think on Monday, and can't tell you how they're doing because um, I, I don't have an update for today. And so they, all of these treatments are, you could still call them experimental. Uh, they're not like if you have a bacterial ear infection um, and we give you penicillin that we know that 98% of the time that's going to kill that bacteria. Um, it is more of we, we are going to try any and all of these therapies that are available to us uh, to help people get better and go home. That's really all I had to, to share. Thank you very much, Dr. Cochran. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you telling us all the steps that what some would consider a little rural hospital uh, is doing to ensure everyone's safety. So not just the safety of the folks that come to the hospital, but of the folks that work there, because we know that OGHS is a major employer in in St. Landry Parish. So thank you for thinking about the safety of our neighbors as well as the safety of those folks who are coming into the hospital. Dr. Cochran, thank you very much.